That's the one thing that is the constant, and that is the faithfulness and the goodness of God. If you have a copy of the Word of God, let me encourage you to open it up with me to the Gospel of John this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 4, in just a moment, I'm going to read verses 19 down through 24 as we talk about worship today. But as you're turning there, let me just uh, make just a very quick commercial. And that is, uh, tonight I'm going to be sharing with you uh, some details about my experience in Israel a few weeks ago. And some of that because of our missionaries being in certain places uh, will not be able to go out online. So if you want to hear all of that, you need to be here if you're able tonight. So we will uh, we'll talk about those details and share about the goodness of God uh, through that experience and how God continues to work in that land. And so tonight we'll take some moments to do that. John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 19, the Word of the Lord says, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what we Know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth, would you pray with me, Lord? Thank you again for our experiences of worship this morning. Thank you, Father, for the fellowship, for the observance of baptism, for all the congregational singing, the choir, and Lord, beautiful special singing. Our hearts are very near you as we've lifted them up in worship. And I pray, Father, that out of worship, we would continue to uh, greet you today and hear from you. Lord, thank you for this dialogue that Jesus had many years ago with the woman at the well. And I pray that, Father, from it, we can learn today and be reminded of how we are to approach you as we worship. I ask all of that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and amen. Well, it was the late 90s, and everything seemed to be going just perfectly right for a pastor over in England by the name of Mike Pilavachi. He was pastor of the Soul Survivor Church in Watford, England. And it's unusual in Europe these days for there to be a group of people so responsive to the gospel and growing in discipleship and the faith of the Lord Jesus. But that's exactly 
what was happening at that particular church at that time, and as I understand it, still is today. And so in the 90s, they were really starting to take off. God was blessing in an unusual way. They were seeing all of this growth, and yet in the middle of it, the pastor began to sense that things weren't quite right when the church came together and worshipped. All the music was good. The exchange of greetings and all of those normal things seemed to be okay, but the pastor thought that the church was sort of flat spiritually and that they were going through the motions. And he finally asked the congregation a very important question. He asked them this, What are you bringing to God in worship? Are you just coming here as consumers, soaking up the good music, or are you really bringing something to the Lord in worship? And so God led him to lead his staff to unplug their worship services. He was just convinced that at least for a season... The solution to what he was sensing was for them to remove all the diversions, all the distractions, all the fancy sound system and lights and video screens, and even the worship band. And there was a great worship leader in that church at the time, a man whose name at least you've probably heard of, a man by the name of Matt Redman. And Matt Redman described that particular season in the life of Soul Survivor Church like this. He said, there was a dynamic missing. So the pastor did a pretty brave thing. He decided to get rid of the sound system and the band for a season. And we gathered together with just our voices. His point was that we had lost our way in worship and the way to get back to the heart of things would be, would be to strip everything away. So with the band unplugged and the big sound system gone, they actually entered into a very unforgettable time in the life of the church. They'd come together, they'd sing a cappella, and they learned a very important lesson about worship, and it's that particular experience that led Matt Redman to write a song back in the 90s that I'm sure you've heard. The title of the song is what I'm borrowing as the title of my message today, The Heart of Worship. Just listen to the words that Redman wrote. He wrote, When the music fades and all is stripped away, And I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. Oh, I'll bring more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. And the refrain of the song is, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. It's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. 
I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. Did you know that we come together this morning and it's not so much about you or about me, but it's all about Him. Coming back to the heart of worship. And Lord, it's all about You. I'm saying to you this morning that in these days of rock star worship leaders and narcissistic larger-than-life pastors, the church needs to return to a robust theology of worship. We need to think about what worship truly is. I think it's easy for us, particularly those of us who live here in the United States of America, where we have 100% freedom to do what we're doing this morning. To come together, to assemble together, to lift up our voices in praise to the Lord, to open up the Bible, to learn of it together as a congregation. And I'm so afraid that sometimes we can just simply go through the motions. I'm at the right place, at the right time, with the right people. I'm carrying my Bible. I'm saying the right things. And I think that often we can check those boxes and leave a time of worship just as empty as when we came into it. Here in John's Gospel, chapter 4, Jesus meets up with a character that we refer to as the woman at the well. Now, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about her and the typical things that you usually think about when you encounter this passage. We know that this is one of those great evangelistic passages of the New Testament. In fact, this whole section of the Gospel of John is just packed with beautiful evangelistic pictures. You remember that in the previous chapter, in John chapter 3, you have that whole dialogue between Jesus and Nicodemus, out of which comes our favorite verse of Scripture, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, John three sixteen. And then here in John chapter 4, Jesus, when He really didn't have to, was moving through the area of Samaria and He met up with this woman at the well. And and you know the rest of the story. Ultimately, Jesus told her some things about her that nobody other than God Himself could have known not having met her before. And Jesus led this sinful woman to faith in Him. The woman at the well got saved and she actually went back into the village where she lived and she became a great evangelist herself. She invited her friends and her neighbors to come meet this man that had completely and totally changed her life. But I want you to see that sandwiched in between all of these evangelistic components of this particular story 
is one of the most defining words in all of the Bible about what you and I are doing right now. One of the most defining words about worship. Notice again the text from verses 19 through 22. The woman said to Jesus, I perceive that you're a prophet. Because again, just prior to this, Jesus told her things about her that only he would know if that knowledge came from God. And then notice how the woman at the well tried to sidetrack the conversation. She tried to divert. Rather than the conversation being about her, she begins to talk about worship in verse 20. She says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that it's in Jerusalem where's the right place men ought to worship. And then Jesus says to her, Woman, you need to believe me, the hour is right now. It has come. Where it's neither about this mountain, nor is it about Jerusalem, the hour has come when you need to know a few other things, Jesus is saying, about how to worship the Father. Now let me just give you some quick details about that exchange between the woman at the well and the Lord Jesus. In the first century, there was this problem that had developed between the Samaritans and the Jews. Now the Jews were holding on to the Old Testament, as they should have. And the Old Testament prescribed that there was one particular place where those of the Jewish faith could come to worship, and that place was down at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Now, there was this conflict between the Samaritans and those that we call the Jews. They're all of the same family, but over the times and the moments of history, there was this conflict that had developed. You see, the kingdom split. I don't have time to go into all those details, but you know that after the reign of Solomon, the kingdom split. There were ten tribes to the north. We refer to them as Israel. There were two tribes to the south. We refer to them as the larger tribe, Judah. Ultimately, in 722 B.C., the tribes to the north fell to the Assyrians. The Assyrians captured them, and this is what the Assyrians did to make sure that those they defeated didn't become a strong nation again. They would force them into intermarriages, and they would marry people from different nationalities, from different bloodlines, so that they would be a mixed nation. So that happened in 722 B.C. Years later, in 587 B.C., Judah fell to the Babylonians. The Babylonians didn't do that. They kept them together. In fact, the Jewish people who were deported to Babylon, they lived in the same communities. They worshipped much like they did before all of those things. And when they returned home to Jerusalem, they returned home as a completed people. Now, they began to spread from the south to the north, 
all over Israel, but those who were from the Jewish bloodline that had not been mingled with other nations. They started looking down their noses at the Samaritans because the Samaritans were sort of half-breeds. And then the Samaritans did some things to cause the Jewish people to look that way at them, like they began to worship at Mount Gerizim in Samaria instead of on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so there was this debate that had raged over the years as to whether or not it was proper to worship the Lord in one particular place other than the temple. And so the woman raises this question to Jesus, and I want you to notice that he gives her an answer that must have absolutely blown her mind. And in this answer, we find so much about the way that we ought to approach the Lord in worship. Notice again verse 23 of our text. Jesus says, The hour cometh, and it is here right now, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. Here's what I want you to see. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, worship is not so much about where you are, but worship is all about who you know. It's not so much about forms and formalities, but it's about a heart that has been changed by God. Jesus is pointing out here that there's been this radical change in worship. Here's what I want you to see. In the Old Testament, God had a temple. He provided a temple for His people. But in the New Testament, there's this amazing transition that takes place. While in the Old Testament, God provided a temple for His people in the New Testament, God has a people for His temple. And so Jesus says, woman, the hour is right now when it's not about being in the right place, saying just the right things, looking just the right way. The hour is now that you worship the Lord in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him that way. I want to make three very simple statements about worship that I hope you'll be able to take with you and it'll prepare your heart not only as you worship individually, but as we come together and worship corporately. Statement number one is simply this. Genuine worship is directed to the Father. Notice again, Jesus says, The hour's here when worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. I want you to notice what's so outstanding, what's amazing about that verse. We're told that God is actually, don't miss this, God is actually looking for people to worship Him. But He's not just looking for people to worship Him, He's looking for people to worship Him the right way. And the right way is in spirit 
and in truth. Listen, when we come together and we worship the Father, we have an audience. And the audience is not you. And the audience is not me. But the audience is an audience of one. The audience is God Himself. Worship is about our pouring out our hearts and giving all we have not to entertain one another, but to celebrate the goodness of our God. Our hearts, our hearts rather, ought to have a hunger to direct our, our praise and our worship to God. You know, the French have a certain saying, and they say that a good meal begins with good hunger. Isn't that true? You know, your better meals come at a time when you're ready to eat, right? Have you ever sat down at a table and maybe you got a snack an hour or so before and the meal just wasn't appreciated like it would have been if you hadn't have put a little something in your belly prior? You've been there. My daddy used to say this, anything will taste good if you're really hungry. <laughs> I wonder... Do we bring hungry hearts to the Lord in worship? Do we spend moments before we come together as a people to worship Him, preparing our hearts to worship? You see, God is looking for worshipers, the text says, but He's looking, according to Jesus, to or for rather true worshipers. Now listen, if there's true worship, there must also be what? False worship. If there's something that's true, the opposite of that is that there's something that's false. Let me tell you what false worship is. False worship is when we place our desires for mediums and methods and styles before our heart that we're trying to lift to the Lord. Let me make that more simple. False worship is when we make worship about us and not about Him. And can we admit together that we've all been guilty of that? Have you ever left a, a time of worship and you said, you know, it just it, it, the music wasn't all that good today. And, and that preacher kept getting his tongue in front of his eye teeth and he couldn't see what he was saying and he stammered and stumbled all over his words, will say things like that and never make a comment on how God moved and how God stirred. You see, false worship is when we make worship about us. Too often I hear people say things like, you know, I just can't worship with that style of music. Or I can't worship if it's not the piano and the organ. Or I can't worship if there's not drums and guitars and synthesizers and all of these things. Well, let me tell you something. If the God you worship is smaller than instruments and styles, you're worshiping a God that's way too small. I just got to tell you today, I'm thankful that in my experiences, listen, I've experienced it all. I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you the truth. 
I, I have preached in churches with full orchestras. I've preached in churches that had no instrumentation because they didn't have people that could play instruments anymore. I have done it. I've been there through it all. I, I've worshipped with praise bands. I've worshipped in one guitar up lead. I've worshipped in all settings. And what I've come to understand is this. It's not about style. It's not about instrumentation. It's not about giftedness just exactly. Now, it's hard for you to understand that because you have such gifted singers and musicians in this church and we have wonderful moments of worship. But let me just tell you, brother, it's not that way everywhere you go. But it's not about those things to begin with. It's about connecting our heart to the Lord. You see, God's looking for true worshipers. And let me ask you this morning, are you a true worshiper? Is it about connecting to the Lord? Or is it about all of the other things that we bring into our moments of worship? One of the most famous buildings in the world is over in India, the Taj Mahal. It was constructed in 1632 by Shah Jahan. And you probably know some of the history of the Taj Mahal. It's actually a mausoleum. He, he built it to be the most beautiful building in the world to commemorate his wife who had just died giving birth to one of his sons. And so he wanted to build for her the most beautiful monument in the world and there are all kinds of legends You can get on the internet and find all kinds of legends about the Taj Mahal. But one of the most interesting legends is this. You know, it took years for it to be completed. And the Shah got obsessed with it being built right and completed on time and those things. And he was angry to begin with and was walking down the middle of it on the inside one particular day. And he stumbled over a box and in his fury... He ordered that the box would be disposed of, taken out and burned. They tried to talk to him. He wouldn't hear of it. He said, get this out of the way. And the legend goes that it turns out that particular box held the remains of his beloved wife. Now, if that legend is true, can you imagine that? Here's the most beautiful edifice by some people's estimation in all of the world, but the purpose for which it was built was cast away. Has it ever occurred to you that sometimes we come into a beautiful place like this that was built by tithes and offerings given to the Lord, dedicated to the glory of God. And rather than worship Him, we just go through the motions. Rather than really holding up our hearts in praise to Him and listening for what He wants to say, we go through the motions and the purpose 
for which a building like this is built and the purpose for which we meet on a morning like this, we walk away as if nothing ever happened. God, let us not be people who go out and cheer at a game on Friday or a game on Saturday and we pour everything we have into that which is meaningless. And we come into a place and in a moment that ought to be eternally meaningful and we just go through the motions. God, forgive us for not worshiping You in spirit and in truth. You see, God's looking for worshipers that will direct their worship to Him. So genuine worship is directed to the Father. Let me give you two more quickly. Number two, genuine worship derives from your spirit. It comes from your spirit. Notice again what Jesus says, God is a spirit in verse 24, and they that worship Him must worship Him, number one, in spirit. God is a spirit. You know, in our minds we probably conjure up images of God, but God is immaterial. Now, He took on human form in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll be talking much about that next month as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, how Jesus came down and He became flesh for us, the only begotten of the Father who wrapped Himself in human flesh and walked through life just like we did. That is Jesus. But God the Father, Jesus says here, God is a spirit. And if we worship the Father in spirit, it means some things. Let me tell you who you are this morning. You are a spirit that possesses a soul, and right now you live in a body. That's our experience in life. You're a spirit from God, possessing a soul, living in a body. Your spirit is that life force that God gives. This is an aside, and maybe time will come, we'll talk about it longer on another day. But but it's an amazing thing when a human being is conceived. They have imaging now that actually shows an explosion of electricity when there is a conception of a child. By the way, that's one of the things we ought to remember when we go out to vote. But listen to me. That's the Spirit. God gives the Spirit. We are a spirit that possesses a soul. That means there's a seed of emotions within us. There's a part of us with which we laugh and we cry and we relate to other people. That's our soul. And right now, our spirit and soul live in these bodies. And we need to think how that all plays out 
in worship. You see, genuine worship affects your soul. But don't get the wrong idea that it's all about how you feel. Sometimes if you genuinely worship, as we say in the Baptist church, you might get your toes stepped on and it doesn't feel all that good, right? You ever been there? Either say amen or oh me, I'll say oh me. Because I've been there. Genuine worship affects your soul, but it's more than just how you feel. What about your body? Is your body involved in worship? Absolutely. Are you using your eyes to see, your ears to hear, your hands to lift? Oh no, you're a Baptist. You don't do that, right? I'm just teasing. Do you use your body in worship? Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. So the body is involved in worship, but it's not about just what happens with your body. You see, music and preaching, they can be exhilarating at times, and that affects your soul. You can use your body in worship, and that's an expression of worship, not the essence of worship. But here's the essence of worship. God is spirit, Jesus says. And you must worship Him in spirit. Let me give it to you. Worship is when your spirit connects with His Spirit through the Holy Spirit. Worship is when your spirit connects to God's Spirit through the Holy Spirit. Listen, if your spirit is not connecting to God, then you are not worshiping. That's what Jesus says. And Isaiah, centuries before Jesus, said this, explained it in Isaiah 29 verse 13. The Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. In other words, these people are just going through the motions. They're saying the right things, but it's not from the heart. Listen. Genuine worship is a worship that derives from your spirit, connecting your spirit to the Lord through the Holy Spirit. And then one last one, let me give you this. Genuine worship is driven by truth. You see, true worship is not just spiritual worship, but it's also scriptural worship. Jesus says, God is the Spirit, and they who worship Him must worship Him. How? Number one, in spirit, and then number two, in truth. What's truth? Well, my friend, God's Word is truth. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall live forever. Because they're True. Mamaw used to say the truth will stand when the world's on fire. And isn't that true? When the world is going up in smoke, the truth of God's Word will last. And so genuine worship is driven by 
the truth. In other words, it means you worship God by the full counsel of His Word. When we come to God in worship, we don't thumb through the Bible and say, well, that's a part I don't like, rip. Oh, that's a verse that gets under my skin, I won't take it, rip. No. If we worship God in truth, that means we worship God in the fullness of His truth. People today make some crazy statements. I always hear people, not just on television, I hear it a lot there, but people just in regular life, normal everyday life, make a statement that's prefaced by these words. Well, the God I worship. Have you ever heard that? The God I worship would never do this or never do that. The God our worship uh, would never send anybody to hell. He's a God of love. The God I worship accepts anybody regardless of their lifestyle because He's a God I, I love or, or that loves. The God I worship doesn't matter to Him if I'm in church with the saints or if I'm in a tree stand somewhere. It doesn't matter because the God I Here's the thing. If the God you worship is not the God of the Bible, you are not worshiping God. Either you worship the God of Scripture, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who reveals Himself in His living Word. Either you worship that God or you're not worshiping God. And the God that's made up by your imagination is a God that will take you straight to hell. Jesus says that the Father is looking for people who will truly worship Him. And those who truly worship Him, worship Him in spirit and in truth. Outside of Hong Kong, there's a place, it's a monastery, and in the middle of that monastery, they have a, a worship center that's called the Cathedral of the 10,000 Buddhas. You, you can watch it. You can find this on YouTube. Just look it up. The, the Cathedral of the 10,000 Buddhas. And those who worship Buddha, you know what they can do? They can come into this temple to the 10,000 Buddhas and they can enter one room after another and stroll up and down the corridors. And it's called the Temple of the 10,000 Buddhas because there's that many and even more images, graven images of Buddha. I see enough bald, uh, bald fat man in my life without finding one. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, that doesn't offend anybody, does it? But listen, that's what you can do there, laying the joke aside, that's what you do. You walk up and down and you look at all the different Buddhas and you finally find the one that fancies you. You find the one that catches your eye and you can take that Buddha off the shelf and bring it to an altar 
And you can kneel down and worship the Buddha that you like best. It doesn't work that way with God. You come to God on His terms, not yours. And you worship Him the way He wants to be worshipped, not the way you want to worship Him. And you believe in Him and trust in Him as He reveals Himself in Scripture or you're not worshiping Him in truth. I don't want you to feel bad about worship. (laughs) I want you to feel good about worship. And when we come together as a congregation, I want that to be the greatest, most exciting time of your week. It ought to be. Because we're meeting with God. Not a man. And what we do is not a performance for man. But it's all for Him. Lord, I'm coming back to the heart of worship. And it's all about You. It's all about You, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about You, it's all about You. Listen, the happiest I believe that you can be this side of eternity is when you worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Is that what you're doing today? Perhaps you're here this morning and you really can't worship God. Oh, you can acknowledge Him. You can give mental assent to Him. The music could even move you. But you're not really worshiping Him because your spirit is not connected to Him by the Holy Spirit. Which means you're not saved. Here's what I want to invite you to do today. If you're here and you've never trusted the Lord as your Savior, come. Come this morning. Give your heart and your life to Jesus who gave everything to you. That'll be your first moment of worship. And let me tell you today, it's sweet. Come to Jesus today. Perhaps you're here this morning and you're not worshiping Him because there's too many obstacles. Maybe the obstacle in your life is... It's not coming to you on your terms. We're not singing this song or we're not singing in that style or uh, the preacher's way too loud for me or this, that, and the other thing. And rather than listening to the Lord and connecting to Him, you're allowing those devices to distract you. You ought to repent of that today. Repent of that then you'll be amazed at how you'll be able to worship God and you will feel it maybe like you used to feel it before those obstacles were in your life. The heart of worship. Our 
you worshiping? Not just here, day to day. Are you truly worshiping Him by spirit and by truth? Would you stand with me, bow your heads? I want to pray for you, and as I pray, I would ask you to prepare to move out, to come, to respond, if that's what God is calling you to do. Step out, come before the church, come before the Lord. There's something so very significant about that. It's not mystical or magical, but it's meaning business with God. And today, if you need to come, if you need to repent, if you need to be saved, if you need to join Bible Baptist Church, whatever God's asked you to do, your act of worship is to respond by the way He's called you. Would you do that today? Father, I want to thank you for these moments. Thank you for these, your people. Thank you for our time together. I pray, Father, that we would all be true worshipers, worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Lord, if there's one who needs to come and make a public decision today based on what you've said to that heart or that life, I pray he or she would come now in Jesus' name. Amen. As we